Hi, I'm Paul and welcome to the ComicCrush.com presents Script and Pencils. On this show, I talk to comic book creators about their latest work and the stories that fuel their imaginations. Want bonus episodes and early access to our podcasts? Hit the Support Us button on thecomicrush.com and become a patron for only $2 per month. Download and stream all our shows from the site or get them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify where you can also leave a review, subscribe and share every episode. Want more on the art, craft and culture of comics? Find the comicrush.com page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at the Comic Crush, where you can also DM me about any of our content or email paul at thecomiccrush.com for inquiries or feedback. On this week's episode, I talk to David Hine about his new book with Brian Haberlin, The Marked, published by Image Comics imprint Shadowline. David and I talk about his working process, the politics that inspire his comics, his career, and the modern approach to selling comics, which sometimes leaves him cold. You can follow David on Twitter at HeinDavid, and you can pick up Volume 1 of The Marked, along with Issue 6, which kicks off the second arc of the series, from Gosh Comics in London, or wherever comics are sold. But please, support your local comic shop if you can. Now, on with the show, as we hand over to Mr. David Hine. So, Mr. David Hine, it's it's lovely to have you here again, uh, this time to talk about brand new book, uh, The Marked. Um, now, I, I read the uh, San Diego preview, the sort of slightly larger size, which is wonderful, and you've got all that great uh, Brian Haberlin art um, sort of popping out from the page, and that, that looks wonderful. In terms of the idea itself, was it a fast kind of idea? Was it kind of a lightning strike, or was it sort of like a slow building storm? Was it something that sort of built up over a number of months or years in your head, and then you, you kind of finally committed it to paper? Because it's a fascinating idea. Yeah, okay. Well, the, the thing is that the books that I'm doing with Brian Haberlin, I'm actually working as his uh, writing partner, essentially. Oh, fantastic. So the ideas are all uh, Brian's. He had a kind of backlog of like a dozen ideas at least for different books that he had um, and when I started working with him which is just over a year ago now we basically started looking at all the different ideas and figuring out which ones were the most likely to work and throwing ideas backwards and forwards so essentially the core idea for the marked came from Brian although it wasn't originally called the marked I think we, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, ideas for titles as well things like skin deep and virtually every pun you can imagine on yeah. uh, tattoos <laughs> tattoos of magic but i think the marked works uh, works really well yeah it, it's it's a great title it feels like it's it's very kind of a, assertive as a title and it's it's an interesting use of tattoos so we have tattoos being used for as magic basically yes with the the work coming well the idea central ideas coming from Brian and then filtering through your sort of prism does that give you enough room to get your voice in there um, yes I think so uh, I, I think uh, knowing my work you'll probably be able to spot when something is um, <laughs> dark and horrible <laughs> enough that it probably came from me I mean we've got the I shouldn't, I shouldn't give away too many spoilers, but we have some some pretty nasty uh, things happening to some of our poor young characters. They're so mm. young and innocent, they don't deserve what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, that, that's kind of the, the uh, seed of good drama these days, I think, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. But no, it, it's been a, a fascinating process, though. As I say, um, Brian had, um, w- with all of the different concepts, he basically had... Um, character ideas or or loose plot ideas and with the marks the essential plot is we have a group of people who have existed probably going back thousands of years whose task is to protect humanity Mm. from uh, the bad magic Uh, essentially since the end of the second world war they haven't had an awful lot to do so they've it kind of lapsed into a, a bunch of young <laughs> trendies who use their magic or misuse their magic for stupid things like change their hair colour or is that, you know, is that an allegory for anything don't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear no, uh, but 
it, it's kind of fun because I think everybody kind of imagines if they had superpowers or magical powers or whatever, the things that you would actually use them for are not going to be like saving the world. Usually it will be for personal gain and fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because... Today you've come from seeing political turmoil up close. You've, you've been at the uh, a march today. Do you think that the culture today, that the, the that society today is is preaching responsibility, or do you think it's it's kind of pushing in another direction? You mean in the direction of irresponsibility? Yeah. I like or... the way you're trying to get politics into this. No, no, no. Because I, I, I think you know, do you feel um, all stories are political and? and Yes, I, I think um, everyone's personal politics are going to come through in their in their work one way or another, and um, my, my politics have always been pretty much to the left. Um, I hadn't thought about politics specifically with the Marx, mm. but that idea of responsibility is very interesting because we have a politics in the UK and particularly in the USA, which are based on irresponsibility. I mean, mm. I think that's pretty clear. You have people like Donald Trump and like Boris Johnson whose interests are so self-focused and utterly selfish yeah. and nakedly selfish. I, I um, definitely agree with that. <laughs> that's, uh, interesting though, I think what you're getting as a response to that is young people actually saying it's time to do something about this and particularly with Extinction Rebellion which mm. is, I, I mean I saw that when I was in Paris recently, it's happening there as well it's across the board and it's kind of good because I think for someone of my age, there was definitely a period where I thought, you know, the kids just aren't getting out there and demonstrating mm. anymore. What's wrong with them? Uh, because when I grew up, it was all about yeah. uh, rebelling and demonstrating and all the rest. But it looks like it's almost as if people have been pushed so far that they finally start to kick back. And, yeah. and I think that that's great. And it's, I guess, in a way, that is what happens with the Marx. They're mm. young people with these incredible powers which they're misusing and then the crunch comes and they have to take on their responsibilities and there is a thing like it's uh, um it's interesting that you and brian picked it the sort of second world war as a kind of starting point for the story because that would have been one of the times in history at least in relatively recent history where, where everyone would have had to have have a sense of responsibility about their community and about their country and what was going on and their place in the world now again we seem to be heading into this very inward looking as you say very selfish kind of mode where we're we're not considering our place in, in the world or on the world <laughs> and it, it's um well from very the, destructive from the perspective of individual nations yeah i mean mm. we've gone to uh, a very bad place but the 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 kind of movements that are happening now particularly you know folks on Extinction Rebellion, and I think it's a very important movement as well because it's youth-based, and it is and it is worldwide, and it's about the biggest issue of the lot. It's about survival, and I, I suppose yeah, it's uh, the Second World War was the last time we had a situation that seemed that, that did kind of threaten the whole of civilization. This is getting very heavy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the book is Actually, fun. Much is just fun. <laughs> book is fun folks it is a really good fun interesting book but uh, <laughs> but yeah the metaphors are there if you want to find yeah. them <laughs> how's the working relationship with brian because you've done is it sonata you did together we first? Did sonata, um, but we've worked together a lot because way back when i was doing when i was writing spawn for three and a half years mm. brian was my editor on that book and towards the end he was also the artist on spawn oh, right, okay so yeah we're used to working together um i also wrote an issue of Faster Than Light, which was a previous image book we did. Mm. Uh, I wrote him a story which was um, a digital comic that was only available online. So kind of uh, over the years we just kept in touch and I'd occasionally be doing things with him. And then the beginning of last year he just said, do you want to just work with me on a sort of permanent basis, just mm. developing all kinds of ideas? It's very interesting, I must mm. say. It's, uh, it's not something that i've done in that way before but the interaction that we're that we're having is, is it's really good does it take and i don't mean it in a in a kind of flip way but does it take some of the weight off you as a writer not to have generated the original kind of 
first idea, or does that make it more difficult because you've got to then access Brian's way of thinking and incorporate that into your style and your methods and things like that? It's certainly diff different to working on my own uh, creator-owned projects. For instance, the books that I do with Shaky Kane. Yeah, which are with, wonderful. Um, with Mark Stafford, I mean, they're very idiosyncratic and they're basically, uh, they, they feel my, more like my ideas. So definitely working with Brian, it's, it, it's, uh, it's a question of compromise. We're always, we, I mean, we talk a lot. We usually Skype at least twice a week where we talk over all the latest ideas and it is very much back and forth and me figuring out exactly where Brian's coming from on each idea and then he will also compromise in regards to my storytelling or whatever mm. it's pure collaboration okay. whereas um, very often with previous work it's been more like I write a story the artist goes away mm. and draws the story and you started as an artist am I right in saying that? I did yes and is it interesting now to make that switch where the artist is, is originating that idea and then you're completing the script and then it's going back through that filter again? Like, what's what's that like in terms of... Uh, I, I mean, I, 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 you, I, you can't be unaware of the, the kind of circular nature of that. You know, like, I mean, yeah, um, well, I try to avoid doing those things in scripts that used to really irritate me when I was an artist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although, although I also have occasionally been almost sadistic with some of my scripts, but um, I, won't, I, won't, I won't go into that. But, um, For Brian, yeah, or uh, no, not with Brian. No, uh, I just I poor shaky. <laughs> I'm trying to think actually uh, how. I mean, obviously, because I used to draw, I'm pretty good. I think at visualizing how a page is going to look so my scripts will be doable you know right. I will I will know exactly how they can work visually whereas I think some writers can write scenes that are just virtually impossible to draw I had that back when I was and I'm not mm. going to name any names but no. there are a couple of times when I was working with people who didn't have that experience I suppose of visualizing what they were talking about and you'd have you know that typical thing of half a dozen different actions happening in a single panel or vast amounts of dialogue in a single uh, panel you know all those things you know obviously mm. I hope I never do because uh, <laughs> um, and I also always have that habit of um, at least thumbnailing each page as I'm scripting uh, sometimes I'll thumb it at first mm. uh, and then go on to the dialogue sometimes the other way around. And are you a full script writer? Do you do yeah. panel by panel? With Brian, a couple of times when we were, particularly when we were starting out, Brian, uh, with Sonata for instance, mm. he had a few scenes that he'd kind of visualised already. So there were some scenes which he'd actually drawn and which I dialogued afterwards. And there were occasional scenes particularly where they're action-based, where I would give a kind of Marvel-style script, just right. describe the action, leave Brian to interpret that visually in the way he wanted. But as we have progressed, I think it, the, the scripts tend to get fuller and fuller, actually. I just can't help myself. <laughs> I I'm, probably, I'm probably just a control freak. But is it, do, you, do you think that's partly because the idea really starts to take hold and kind of really gets into your brain and then yeah. you can't... Is it hard to stop yourself from having ideas? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. I mean, it's as the, as the characters become real. Because with these, a lot of the characters have been in Brian's head for some for years. So for him, they're already real. And I think the toughest thing for me was for those characters to become real for me as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit like working with existing, pre-existing characters at Marvel or DC, I mm. suppose, where you, you have to learn more about an, exi an existing character. Mm. Whereas when I'm writing my own stuff, it's just springing yeah. straight out of my head. But as we've progressed and we've... and The, char the characters are basically taking on a life of their own. So... In Sonata, every single one of those characters is now a real person to me. I have those kind of inner dialogues mm. with them. 
Uh, I think that's when you know yeah. that it's working and you actually start to talk to yourself. Do you prefer to sort of lock yourself away in a room and, and be alone with the characters and have those conversations? Um, or, or are you a person that kind of has to be outside and moving around and having them there? I, I'm, just, I'm always curious about the sort of inner life of writers. And it depends. I don't really have a method. Um, and things change. I mean, there, there have been periods where I would work almost exclusively in cafes, for instance. And if I'm in the right mood, that's better than silence. You know, there's a kind of buzz that you get in um in a cafe, where it's just kind of background mm. activity going all the time, but it's not intrusive. Uh, and other times, and I get this more now. I do tend to totally lock myself away. Right. You know, there I can go a whole week without sitting quite outside the door these days. <laughs> that sounds like heaven to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some some people I, I was uh, talking to someone recently who's working from home and it's driving them insane, but um, I I kind of like it. I like my own company. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very male trait though. Like I mean, there's yeah. a lot of like guys yeah, I know who just are like yeah, leave me alone. I want to go off and do this. <laughs> but but it does it does vary. I mean, I think I once wrote an entire issue um, of a book when I was working for Marvel, sitting in an airport because I had something like six hours um, and then my plane was delayed on top of that. Oh God, okay. And there was something about sitting in the airport where there's just literally nothing else to do, which really focused my, my mind. So, so like I said, I don't have a working method. I know some people get up, uh, start working at nine o'clock, work through to the six. Mm. Um, and I'm all over the place with my schedule, really. Does that, does that play havoc with the home life? I mean, I, I'm... I'm like is, is that infuriating for your partner to be like sometimes they want to spend an evening together and you're like no actually no I've, I've done all my <laughs> my relaxing today I'm, I'm off this evening um, working. Uh, there's there's certainly times where I think holidays are the, the big problem right. because my wife does like her holidays there have been a couple of times uh, in fact earlier this year she'd planned a trip to Bali which is a place where I really want to go and I just did not have the time. So she went off with a friend instead uh, and tortured me by sending me every day, s sending me photos of these amazing places in Bali. Going, I bet you wish you were here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That, that. that sounds like a holiday you would have loved. <laughs> I, would have, I would have loved it, yes. We'll go back, we'll go back one day. In terms of the book itself, are you looking at it being an ongoing or mini or the marks yes mm. we certainly plan on it being ongoing and the way we're planning it is we we have an initial story arc which is mm. a pretty major story and we've been talking about maybe the second arc focusing more on individual stories for each issue right so uh, we, we'll, we would have a continuing plot line running through as well but um also make each issue a kind of self-contained Okay. story because I think that's something you can do with this idea of magic and uh, and mm. you can also follow individual members of the group rather than having some massive storyline which is what we've got for the first arc mm. and it's something especially suited to comics I find like you, you don't I mean I'm, I'm trying to think if you see it that often now sometimes you do sometimes you don't but it, it, it is something that does feel like it's, it's kind of tailor made for the comics medium yeah, um, I mean, comics always used to be like that. When I mm. started out reading American comics, you pick up a 20-22-page uh, story, and it was a complete story. You, when my son started reading American comics now, he'd burn through the 20 pages in, I don't know, 10 minutes. i go, where's the next one? I'd go, wait a month. And I really, I do like the idea of having much more compact storytelling mm. and feeling like you've yeah you've had your story and you're you're happy to wait for the next one say in a month's time you still you know you're still pretty eager to find out what happens next but you should have that kind of satisfying experience yeah. of having had a story um we we've been talking about it more in terms of tv things like uh, i don't know if you remember the x-files original sure there was that overarching storyline running mm. through it but every episode was also a really good self-contained one-off story as well so um, we're certainly going to aim to achieve something like that with the second arc of the mark and are you working in a method where because the, the first arc of Sonata seems to be coming to a close now 
terrific book, by the way. It's a, a wonderful story. And then you've got the mark starting. Are, are you hoping to sort of keep that sort of pace where it's one will come to an end, another will start, um, that will come to an end, you'll switch, well, or is Sonata kind of a, a done deal? Is it like a Sonata? Uh, I'm currently writing the second arc. I think we're going to have a very brief interlude between the first and the second arcs, and I know. Brian also wants to keep the ball rolling with other ideas because the last year I was working on, I say, a number of ideas with him, and uh, it wasn't clear at the time which of those we would be initially launching. Mm. So there are more that we've kind of developed to different stages. Fantastic. So I think the idea is to just to keep the ball rolling with um, new ideas starting as well. Though how many we can actually handle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose the more you do, the more time-consuming that's going to become, and less yeah. holidays. Now, now that the schedules are there, you know, and the mm. books are actually being published, it's not theoretical anymore. Yeah. It's like you yeah, because the deadlines are there, which is something I haven't really had to that extent for a while, because most of the things that I've been doing the last few years mm. have had really long-term deadlines. So this is almost like being back on the on the treadmill, if you like, of the of having several regular monthly books on the go. One thing I've noticed about your work, is like especially looking at some of your stuff with Shaky, and then sort of then looking at Sonata and, and the Mark, there always seem to be, in, in the books with Shaky, there, there's a strong sense of reality, but having surreality and fantasy bleed into it, whereas the Mark and the Sonata seem to be almost fantasy first. Do you know what I mean? Is there a reason for that? I mean, is it just is it collaborator dependent, or is it just what you're in the mood for at, at that given time? Or the thing is, I'm I'm pretty flexible in the way I work. I mean, if you if you look at the, the books that I've done, that mm. that backlist, it's pretty varied stuff. So when I work with Shaky, it's almost like uh, it, it's a form of schizophrenia. My personality actually changes when I'm writing for Shaky. <laughs> My personality changes when I'm working with Mark Stafford and that works if I'm working with someone that I really know that I really get along with and of course Shaky was uh, a very good friend of mine mm. way back in the 70s you know we were punks together when we were oh, amazing when we were young and we're so much on a level that we almost felt like a single personality at times it was it was very weird you, you do say it funny enough I, I edited your bulletproof coughing uh, commentary that you uh, did for yes. all uh, was it a year or two back, <laughs> which was yeah, which was very thing, funny yeah. and and it was a wonderful edit to do, because it was so entertaining and you do get a sense of your friendship listening to that and yeah it, it's really weird though because we have, we've got these two two personalities obviously mm. there's the there's the personality that exists within Bulletproof Coffin mm. where we kind of hate each other, um, and then. <laughs> When we do these, uh, when we used to, uh, the times we've actually appeared together, to either talking about mm. our work or whatever, we 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 kind of we, we don't plan this in advance. It's not like we go, are we going to be fake, Dave and Shaky, or the real thing? And and it, you just kind of slip in and out of these things where mm. we start arguing about stuff. We're not really sure whether this is real or just acting out I've got to say if anyone's listening now and you want to go and find that it is on the the website and on iTunes now you can find that commentary and it is superb it, it's wonderful listening to these guys <laughs> <laughs> kind of go at it yeah it's uh, the, it, I really did enjoy the book group mm. because it did become a kind of confessional there was that whole that whole thing of me being the sellout who went to work for big two and sold my soul <laughs> and that did kind of reflect how I felt about what I'd been doing with my work for well, a little, you've done good work bit. there I mean it's not like it's um, you know you know it, it was weird though because um, when I was a kid obviously I really my dream was to go and write Spider-Man but by the time it happened I kind of I felt like I'd outgrown that it's like now I'm not interested in superhero books more in DC right. I got into underground comics and the European stuff and that's what I wanted to do so when I was offered work on Marvel comics I, instead of going like yay I was going like, yeah which I know is 
I, uh, <laughs> and we just yeah, want to but... say to, to any editors of Marvel listening, <laughs> I'm sure that doesn't reflect David's feelings now. <laughs> I, I, I was lucky. I was lucky. I was able to do some really interesting stuff at Marvel. I mean, it, you know, um, if you remember District X and yeah. then Daredevil Redemption, and they weren't really superhero books at all. So uh, um, I'm very grateful to, to you know editors like Mike Marks, who was so unbelievably patient with mm. me. I have to say, and Joe Casada as well was very accommodating. So yeah, I, I had the best of both worlds for a while I suppose but but like I say I always had this thing where well when I finally met up with Shaky that was the mm. thing we, sat, uh, we, we we just sat in a, in a bar that was at Bristol Comic Convention and we were moaning about comics and uh, how they weren't they weren't like they used to be yeah. and uh, we were, but nothing is now <laughs> but um, Shaky had all these ideas I think he had some with him, but he, he mm. also sent me a big folder of stuff. And it was literally, uh, he had a drawing of a bulletproof coffin trundling across this desert. And all the, most of the characters, he'd just been sketching for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And um, I, I don't know at what point we decided, but the, because we were there, like, this is the way comics should be. It was like, there was a, a, a moment it was a flash just like so why don't we actually do it which was great uh, and, and we put together the first issue of Bulletproof Coffin mm -hmm. and then I um, went to Eric Stevenson because I was in San Diego and I went to him to uh, see if I could sell him this idea of this I thought he's not going to go for it it's not, it's not Image's style um, but as soon as I mentioned Shaggy's name Eric just said yeah, sure, we'll do it. And I hadn't even shown him the pages. <laughs> yeah. It turned out he was this huge Shaky Kane fan Fantastic. from you know back back in the day. So we we got to do it, and there was well, you know how image works. There's no editing. Yeah. There's nobody told to tell you what to do. Once they're sold on the idea and greenlit your project, you're off. Have you found that again now with? Because the, the new books, the Marks and Sonata, are coming out through through Image Shadowline, is it? Yeah, it's Jim Valentino's line of books, right. um, which Brian also did Fast and Lights right. through. Um, and Jim's really great. I mean, he's he's very hands-off and at the same time gets very involved. So he'll be pushing, pub, publicising the book and mm. all that kind of stuff. So it feels like we've got a very hands-on kind of uh, team working for us okay. as well. But do, do you get much editorial input then from, from that as no. opposed to what you would normally oh, no, get from, no, no, from Eric? Oh, no, no, no. It's entirely down to me and Brian. We just mm. produce everything. Jim will make comments, but luckily most of them are like, great stuff, guys, Yeah. Um, which is just the kind of editorial input that I like. <laughs> in terms of, I mean, I guess with, with Rise, especially in comics where you, you write a book, it goes off to the artist, it's it's being produced and by then you're you're maybe on to the next you're you're a couple of issues in or you're five issues in or you're in in some cases on to the next project one eye on the future what's coming up for you i mean you you've got some exciting things on the, on the horizon um, yes uh, i've got a, a second series um of the dark judges coming up for the magazine that's mm. following on from torture garden which i, I as I understand, was extremely well received and, and I think very so. Popular, yes, seemed, seemed to go down very well. Well, well, well enough to to uh, ask me to do another. Do you know? I thought <laughs> I'd ended the story. I was like, this can't possibly be followed. It's the end of the judges for mm. at least ten years, um, and then within weeks, uh, uh, Matt Smith was coming back to us. Was like, hey, this went down pretty well. I want to do a follow up. <laughs> but at, at Actually, once I started thinking about it, and Nick Percival, the artist, had mm. uh, some really good ideas as well. And that was a case of, uh, oh, and Matt Smith came back with some suggestions. So that was kind of a three-way thing going on there. And I started to get really enthusiastic about it. So I'm really looking forward to that one, um, which will be, oh, I don't know when it'll actually be published. Um, Nick will be starting to draw at the end of the month. Mm. And then the next book with Mark Stafford is launching at Thought Bubble which is The Bad Bad Place which is kind of like a distorted mirror image of Lip Hook which was our last horror right. 
graphic okay. novel from South Nature. This time it's published by Soaring Penguin and was originally serialised in the Meanwhile uh, magazine. Yeah, which is the anthology. Yes, yeah. the anthology magazine. We, in fact, only nine episodes have been published so far. So I, I'm not sure if uh, the collection isn't actually going to come out before the last part is published in Meanwhile. <laughs> But well, certainly it's all done. It's been mm. done for a while. It's looking, uh, I think it's looking really nice. You, you talked about the personality changes depending on, on artists and things like that. What's the personality that you find comes out when you're working with Mark? Um, Who, like his work, I love. Like he, he does amazing uh, stuff. It seems to involve very dark humour. And um, we always seem to end up sitting in a pub talking about uh, <laughs> the idea. So, so alcohol may have some influence on, on it as well although thinking about it every time i'm around at shaky's place we usually get a couple of six packs of beer in a, as well so yeah um i'm not sure if i should recommend this but um booze does seem to yeah ha have a little bit of an influence on <laughs> the creation of is, is there a point where you might go over notes and go I don't know where that came from. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I don't know no, if no, I'm keeping that in or... Uh, well, that's why I do always keep a notebook with me because, mm. uh, yeah, stuff... You do forget stuff. I, I, I used to keep um, a notebook beside the bed as well so that if I have a particularly good dream, I'd jot that down. Because there's nothing worse than either lying in bed and having a great idea and thinking, yes, I must write that when I get up tomorrow. And then... The alarm goes off and you sit up and go, oh, I had a great idea. I know I had a great idea. <laughs> and it's just gone. I wonder how many ideas go by the wayside. I mean, for writers in general, that, yeah. that just through the well, daily sort of forgetfulness that we all experience. <laughs> yeah, which increases with age. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I, can, I can certainly attest to that. <laughs> uh, the thing is, yeah, I, I mean, I'd say that to anybody just keep keep notes because I've got stacks and stacks of notebooks and when I flip back through them I have no memory of some of this stuff I've occasionally come across them sometimes it's completely insane mm. drivel but um, sometimes I come across that's pretty good and you've got absolutely no no memory of actually having written it but um, so yeah the brain is a, is a weird and inconsistent organ definitely now, anything in comics that's kind of exciting you at the moment that you're really enjoying or anything oh. you're reading that, that's kind of... I'm going to draw a blank now. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't pick up an awful we lot We can edit of... it out. <laughs> yeah, I don't pick up an awful lot of comics right now. Um, I did pick up a few things when I was in France and I'm not going to remember the names of the artists, so that's not going to help either. <laughs> I, I should have prepared for this. I could have made it. I could have made a list. I should have warned you. I should, <laughs> you should always say questions first. But um, I, I like really offbeat stuff. I like what a lot of the stuff that Self Made Hero are putting out. Yeah. It's more. It's more graphic novels now because um, I tend to do. I, I imagine a lot of people will do this. I'll pick up a first issue of something and go like, "That's pretty good," and then wait for trade. And then maybe forget all about it, and I think it's a, I think it's a huge problem. No, seriously, I think the 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 way comics publishing works now is very in inefficient. You know, this endless stream of new books. Yeah, but in what what sense though? I mean, in the the, the issues in, aren't coming out fast the, no, enough. No, or? in the sense that you have a monthly comic and then you have a trade paperback. And it's, I don't think that's the way, or it certainly doesn't work for me. I just want to see graphic novels. Okay. So, the trades. You're, you're not alone in that, though, because it's something we, we have, as much as I, like, I, I'm just getting, I, I've got back into single issues in, in the last year, principally because I got fed up of not, I don't know what it was, I started to miss reading single issues on the train or when I went for a coffee. There and, is of course, that, yeah. it's, it's lighter to carry four or five single issues out with you than it is <laughs> four or five graphic novels but um, th there is a, a sort of movement towards the kind of 
almost like the Band-Aid Destiny kind of style, the the album. I mean, Deep DC are kind of moving slightly towards that with the things like Black Label and the big, big format books, although they are serialised. But yeah, a lot of us have talked about just seeing single books come out and have a complete arc in that. Well, obviously, this is the way it works with self-made hero. I mean, they're like a book mm. publisher. You complete the entire graphic novel, mm. and then they publish it. Um, it. Whether it will ever work with the kind of comic books that Marvel and DC publish, for instance, or even Image, I really don't know. There still seems to be that need for the monthly hit. Mm. There's a whole other way of buying reading matter. You know, when you buying novels, buying books, you walk into a bookshop, you see something that you like, and you buy it and you read it, or you read a phase or view of it maybe. Uh, Comics. Yeah. It's this addiction of hey, it's the it's Wednesday. Yes. Yeah. New comic book day. Although we love it here in the shop, I have oh, to say, we, you know, it, it. But it's a whole it's a whole other thing. And I'm not sure that that model is ever going to get that much bigger than it already is, because I'm sure you're aware you have this static market which never seems to get bigger or that much smaller. It's just this a, a group mm. of people who are totally into comics and will be for their entire lives. Yeah. But I don't know whether it's ever going to expand into a general thing. And also, it's that thing if you talk you talk to some people where they'll come in looking for something and I'm like okay let me let me show you some graphic novels some trades and things like that no 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 I want I want single issues and I'm like yeah but you're mm. getting a complete story here and ultimately it might be cheaper for you if you if you if you're on a budget you know but no no they want single issues and it's very hard to steal steal people away from to one or the other sometimes but then equally it, it's I do find myself saying, well, look, why don't you try both? Like, you can try maybe a single issue of that and buy that trade quite cheaply. And especially with the image trades where you get those great first volumes at a reasonable yeah, price. Yeah. And yeah, there seems to be this almost, you've kind of got to go one or the other. And Yeah, I, I, I do think, I mean, this is why uh, I look back with fond nostalgia to the days of, you know, the 60s in particular, where, you know, you pick up an issue of Spider Man or Fantastic Four. And you just have this amazing story, and it was done. And I, and I think that's why back in those in those times, you know, everything was selling three hundred thousand copies a month. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know the system works. I mean, I don't want to be too negative about it. I mean, obviously, no, it, it works for a lot of people, and yeah. and if that's what works for them, that's what they should have. You know, I mean, I don't think either of us are kind of. Trying to push towards one elitist view or another, you know, like this, it must be this or this. It's, no, I mean, if you, I were, like the mix. I like, I like getting both, you know. Yeah, me too. I mean, if you were to see my house, which is basically just wall to wall books and comics and magazines, <laughs> there's, there's, there's everything. There's single issues. There's manga. There's graphic novels. There's French albums. I, I, I'm, I'm like terrible because I buy because obviously, at the shop we get a bit of a discount. So you're. You end up buying. I I get the single issues, and then I'll get the trade at some point, and slowly get rid Good. of the single issues, and then move to the. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's part of a way of saying, okay, I really like this book when I'm buying the singles, but if I buy the trade, I know I love it, and that's yeah, something I want yeah. to keep. And oh, I, I I do. Um, I used to do all the time. I buy every single issue and the, and the trade, and it's pretty mad thing to do really isn't it yeah you bought you just bought the same thing twice yeah and it is it can be a very different experience reading them oh yeah 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 uh, no that's that's true yeah. i don't know i i don't know what the solution is i mean you know better than me how the market is actually working i mean are you doing our comics doing well right now or are sales figures down or what i i think they're doing okay they're doing pretty good i mean it, it, it's always going to depend on the creators and the books and principal interest in the character and I find a lot more people now like when I was growing up it was okay I follow I'm just going to follow a character like Batman is my big obsession so I'll just grab as much as I can in terms of Batman and then filter out from there what I don't like of that but 
Um, a lot of people follow particular writers or artists, and they'll they'll buy anything of theirs, and it, it all depends on what they're turning their hand to. Um, here's the thing. I was looking at um, the new releases over the last couple of months, and um, I'm not sure exactly how many there are, but there are a lot of Batman titles, and there are a lot of yes. Spider-Man titles, and that has to be. Uh, I I think this is a barrier to bringing in new readers. Okay. I mean, if someone comes in who's watched the watches the movies and wants to read Spider-Man comics, they'll come in, and they've got a choice of how many this month? Mm. A dozen? I think it's largely, going to, again, it's going to depend on those stories. So it's a bit hard to jump someone into issue 57 of Spider-Man, for example, when it's mid-arc and issues 55 and 56 have sold out. It's like, well, I can't, I can't tell you what the beginning of this story is going to be like because, unfortunately, you've missed 56 and 55 and 56, there's 57 if you want it you might have to wait for the reprints and things like that so having those characters appear in six issue minis or 12 issue minis or whatever that there might be a new number one for you can jump them into that's great that's useful um and usually because they don't have to be i mean i never think really that you have to be aware of continuity to pick up any of the major characters now because if you're aware that some kid called peter parker got bit bitten by a spider <laughs> you're fine <laughs> don't worry about it you yeah. can go from there <laughs> you know yeah and of course i've been guilty of uh, of messing with spider-man as well that, that was that was that was huge fun you have to spider-man mm. so that that's the last thing i ever did for marvel so i don't know whether i did something wrong there but um did you enjoy it did you enjoy the experience it. of doing I, it I, I absolutely loved it um, and did you get to do what you wanted to do that's yes that's the main thing. yes right um it, there was it, it, there was a bit of butting heads when we first started, but in the end it was it went exactly the way we wanted it to. You know, it was it was political and it was very very noir, it's mm. very very dark. And we we actually were allowed to say that Peter Parker, Aunt May, and Uncle Ben were all communists, which. <laughs> That, Would you get great. away with that today? Um, do you think? Yes, I think so. I, oh, okay. I, 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 I think. I mean, it's when when did we do it? About eight years ago now. I think mm. when we did the first. But time. do you, do you think today, given the climate, you, that you you would have to say that they are left leaning, or would you? No, I think I think um, America is actually more open to extreme left wing politics now. We've mm. got someone like Bernie Sanders who can actually come out and say, "I'm a socialist." Um, that's that was unheard of. Mm. Ten years ago, so I I I can imagine that um, it would be even easier now. Okay, we certainly had never had any resistance to that. I mean, everyone uh, at Marvel seemed to be quite. The thing is, if you look at the politics of the nineteen thirties, socialism was a valid alternative back then. Mm. You know, the this the, the whole situation was so different then. And, and do, you, do you think that's because of the, the situations that the country was in? Yeah. The the kind of poverty and things like that. that were, I mean, you know, now that we're, we're kind of re almost re-experiencing that to a certain degree now, do, do you... But do you, I mean, do you... Like, the core audience for comics is quite liberal, I find. I would hope so. I, more so... Hmm, more so in this country than in the USA, I think. Okay. There always used to be an assumption in this country... Most of the leading writers were very left-wing. I mean, whether you're looking at Alan Moore or Grant Morrison mm. or virtually um, yeah, anybody UK's name, Pat Mills, yeah, uh, definitely, you know, um, lefties <laughs> wherever you look, <laughs> and a lot of people actually coming from a working-class background as well. Because mm. Alan Moore is from a working-class background, I'm from a working-class background. Mm. That's very rare in America. And it took me a while to get used to it. Most of the creative community in America is probably left-leaning, but uh, I've still come from middle-class backgrounds. Mm. So you, you don't get that. I can't think of... Um, there, there probably are people who have come from the American mm. working class who have gone into the comics, but um, it's really not not something that's noticeable mm -hmm. I mean I, I, like I think people coming from outside comics reading comics for the first time would be quite surprised by the amount of intelligent 
you know, literacy that's in comics. And I, I think people assume that it's a, a kind of throwaway medium, but it, it really isn't. There is an incredible amount of intelligence and literacy going on. And, and, and I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, like people like yourself, Peter Milligan, um, I mean, just naming two off the top of my head, that uh, incredibly well-read people who are really out there pushing ideas and, and things like that. So I, I think people would be surprised by, or some of the Possibly. audience would actually be surprised by, I think certainly they the they would have been but but comics have become far more literate since the nineteen sixties onwards I think mm. before that comics could be uh, well you can understand why people would not see them as a valid medium very often but the, uh, sure I think the best comics the most literate comics would have been the the Sunday uh, strips the newspaper strips right things like Will Eisner's The Spirit um, Alex Raymond. Mm. All those kind of people, the science fiction stories, they were actually fairly literate. But the comic books were pretty gross, and a lot of them were very, very crudely written. (laughs) Do you think that was because they were aiming at the younger audience initially? I mean, now it's. You had that whole thing around the sort of 70s and 80s where the comic audience was a lot older really yeah it's because um, people didn't stop reading comics when they got yeah. to like 14 years old they carried on it's it's interesting I mean well, I suppose you don't stop reading novels do you but it, it's interesting how it how it stays with you as a medium yeah uh, but 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 the medium had to grow mm. uh, and that's why this exactly what happened to me by the time I got to about 14 15 I was only interested in I was Robert Crumb Vaughan Bidet Greg yeah. Irons all the underground stuff that's what I wanted. And then when I saw Nettler Long La Suivre, you know, the French yeah. publications, and that was a whole other level again. And is that what you wanted to write then? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't uh, so interested, certainly not in superheroes. And I'm still amazed that they've somehow, the, the genre still dominates to that extent. But I know it's an old, I don't want to go over old yeah. ground. I feel like I've been talking about that for years probably no 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 <laughs> but I mean you would like I mean, I mean one presumes and I don't mean this in a ch- challenging way or a, a hostile way but one presumes if if Marvel or DC pick up the phone and go oh David look, we'd really love you to write this like to write X you're not necessarily going to say no I mean would you see that as a I, as, I'm I'm, as a challenging use of your time now to, I'm, to I'm go back far to... more likely to say no now I okay. don't think I'm I, I think I'm done with mainstream because I did it for a long time and I enjoyed it and it did me a lot of good mm. there's no way I would have had so much interest from other publishers without having done mm. the Marvel books and the DC books so as far as exposure and your career goes it's, yeah. it's incredibly useful but I'm, I'm not sure I mean th- I, I suppose if someone say um, would you like to write Doctor Strange there's still a couple of characters that I'm still right. fascinated with and I always want to I never got to write Silver Surfer Silver Surfer mm. Doctor Strange and Spider-Man those were my you know the, the, the characters mm. that I really really love oh and the spirit as well I mean I got to write the spirit for DC for a while Fantastic. which was um, incredible I really loved doing those books mm. I, I never would have guessed that I'd end up you know writing the spirit so yeah I mean it's it's been it, it's been great to to get the chance to handle those characters that I loved so much when I was when I was younger but you know I'm getting on a bit I don't want to <laughs> be doing books that that I'm only doing because they are this or that sure. I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in pursuing the kind of storytelling that I really want to tell the stories I want to tell Things like Lip Hook and things like Bulletproof Coffee. And I, I don't I really don't want to be wasting time mm. doing stuff just because it's big names or or it's gonna sell yeah. lots of copies. Okay. Uh, unfortunately the the more the the books are my what I really, really wanna do. Yeah. They tend to sell a lot less than uh some, I mean, the, the best-selling book I ever worked on was um, uh, Civil War X-Men. Right. Which is probably the one that I am least pleased with. But do you think that's because it hasn't got the big 
the, the stuff you're writing now, and, and again, no disrespect to the stuff you're writing now because I really enjoy it, and but it, it's because the big machine isn't behind it. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that's <clears throat> the, um, a problem that I always had with Image is that you have to be out there publicizing the book, mm. and that's why working with uh, Jim Valentino is good because the, the, you really feel like he's putting a lot of effort into pushing the books. Whereas image in general, you're far more left to your own devices, and if you're not particularly good at handling social media, right? Yeah, and, and increasingly as that becomes more kind of prevalent in our lives, yeah. I mean, prevalent is like it's just you can't avoid it. That is a thing. Yeah, that I, I, I think, I think it's unfortunate. If you're, I mean, shaky, for instance, is not the greatest at, at going out and being a public figure. And and um, but and yeah, when like and as with the the commentary, when you and Shaky are together, that, that Shaky is, is a wonderful, yeah, entertaining. He really, really is. But it's um, it, it's kind of funny to see him. It's like it, he's got a, a love hate relationship with fame. I think. But this, my point is that there are certain people who are meant to be creators, who are meant to sit in their in their studios. And you know, shaky is that he, he sits there and creates, and, and, and this insane stuff is coming out of his head all the time. He shouldn't have to go out and, and sell that, sell yeah. himself afterwards. And I think everybody has become a salesman now. Yeah, yeah. it's the part, the, the part that I like the least of the whole mm. business. Yeah, because you are always hearing about you know, you can shake someone's hand, and then the mo moment later, you're hearing about whatever they're doing whatever project they've got going on whether it's in comics or whether it's this yeah, or whether yeah. it's that which isn't necessarily a bad thing but also I guess I wonder if it gives people a lot of pressure to feel like they've got to have a thing you know they've got to be out there doing something and it's just like well actually you kind of know you don't like you, you can be a person who just the whole social media thing mm. my, my problem is if I'm off it for even 24 hours it's it's a weird thing you feel like you're drifting away from your like do you still yeah. exist my god I haven't posted anything on Twitter for a week <laughs> people think I'm dead <laughs> <laughs> it, it's uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'd like to switch it all off sometimes yeah I, I can see I can see I mean it's part of my job so I can't I can't yeah, really you say can. that. Look, you're sitting um, here doing a podcast. Yeah, right that's the thing for for output for which we will then advertise on social media. But yeah, then there should be a balance somewhere that's a bit more. Yeah, uh, and, and increasingly, I, I think I think we're probably going to see a lot of trauma caused by social media as we go on. Oh, I um, if we're not already, have, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, so. to the point where people will start getting more and more cancelling for it, and and there'll be more. It's it's a strange time to be in, especially if you're you're over a certain age. I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I, I mean, the world has changed so much. I do sometimes feel like I've. Yeah, the thing is that this future that we now live in, I mm. mean, it feels like future to me. Uh, it's nothing like anything we ever predicted. Mm. It's so much more banal in many ways. Absolutely. It's not what we were promised growing up from tomorrow's world, is it, David? No one could ever have imagined that everyone would be sitting around the whole time looking at these objects yeah. in our hand. It's almost like they're grafted on now. Mm. And, and I'm as guilty as any. Yeah, I, 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 but I think some of those things have been a great way for keeping in touch and communicating and advancement. But there is, there is an inherent danger to it. Yes, it's a, it's a two-edged sword. I'm, I'm fascinated to see. I'd love to be able to like mm. jump ten years or twenty years into the future, because uh, I I've realised that everything is totally unpredictable. Yeah. As it, you always felt like science fiction mm. was a way of foreseeing the future, and and suddenly nothing. The uh, the narrative has got screwed up somewhere. Mm. And also, like, there's things we couldn't have predicted. Like, I, I don't think anyone would have predicted in the the early, the sort of late seventies and early eighties, the push towards more organic living and you know more, you know, vegetarianism and True. and things like that. And yet, that has become a major factor in our lives, and and it's only going to get bigger. Um, and if I could make a prediction, I think mm. it would be that we're going to be we're, we're going to get a, a split 
will no longer, we won't have as many shops, but the shops we have will be craft. They'll be about quality and producing okay. things that last. And I think that that's the way things are going to go. You, you can have your uh, cheap food and all your essentials should be cheap and everyone can have But after that, you people will be focusing on uh, arts and crafts, mm. which I think is a, really, is a really good thing. There'll and be the, more and more artists out there. We've all got creativity and we'll mm. all be able to. And there is a drive towards a kind of more, I don't know what you call it really, bespoke living yes. almost. Like yeah, there, yeah. there is a, there, there is a kind of move towards that, which has probably been a reaction to the kind of more homogenized future that we all thought we were going to get. And, and we're kind of quite rightly expecting mm. to a certain degree. Defin yeah. Definitely uh, interesting times. Very interesting yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, ju I just wish we could... Uh, I mean, I I'd, I'd love to live for like 500 years so we could see it all happening. I don't know. I'm not sure I would. <laughs> yeah, the, actually, the next 500 years might be pretty bleak. Yeah, I wonder if all the kind of really interesting things... <laughs> happened uh, and uh, back in the 60s people were predicting that um the you know the human race wouldn't even live into the 21st century you know the um the the air would be completely polluted yeah by the end of the 20th century there'd be no more oil for instance there'd be you've seen that the underground comics were into that and everyone seems to be saying the end is nigh mm. Um, and now, of course, the end does seem to be nigh. But <laughs> and it's weird that it's a political end and not a. It is a breakdown well, of civilization. It's not nuclear fire or chemical weapons. It's our own greed and stupidity and avarice and diversiveness. Yes, that but is. having having just come off the march, I also have to say that people are still remarkably kind and civilized, yeah. and positive okay. and, and when it comes down to it that's that's what really comes through I think most people are decent so I'm not I'm not a pessimist mm. I'm, I'm in, no matter how ridiculous some aspects of, <laughs> of uh, our lives have become uh, the, the undercurrent uh, I still think I've still got mm. a lot of faith in humanity good I'm glad to hear that <laughs> and that's a that's actually a lovely note to to end on um thank you that's that's actually been one of the more refreshing and honest interviews we've we've done in a while we appreciate that thank you so much You're um welcome. and uh, actually in the interest of honesty do you have any tattoos david <laughs> are, you, are you marked yourself no no i have no no tattoos no you've piercings. never given in to that temptation no, never, never. mum or uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I'm afraid not. I know. I, I really should think about it, shouldn't I? <laughs> you should get some maybe disposable ones done for uh, done for the book for the trade. Yeah. Oh, ah, uh, that's a point. I didn't bring it in. We yeah, we did produce sleeves. Oh, fantastic. Um, we could have worn those while we were. <laughs> doing the interview, I'm very disappointed. <laughs> I apologise. No, it's a terrific book, though. I, I really enjoyed reading that that first um, preview and. I'm looking forward to this. And we just need to point out, in the interest of complete stories and um, getting value for money in your first issue, you've got a uh, sort of, is it double length first it issue? Is, oh, the bar at number yeah. one is 40 pages. Um, for the price uh, that of has a... 40 pages of story yeah. for the price of your normal 20 page comic. Yeah. In fact, a lot of comics, so it's $3.99, so whatever mm. the English equivalent is. Uh, I see a lot of books are up to four ninety nine now. So you're yeah, really it depends. It's it's you're getting you are actually. I mean, it, it is a, a a lovely book to read, and it's nice to get that much story and that much introduction to the characters. Um, so, congrats on that, and thank you for doing that because you know all the readers out there love a good meaty kind of story and especially for a first issue that's fantastic yeah yeah we did think that was a, an important thing to do oh and but most of our books run to something like 26 pages that's so good. it's always a little that's, bit yeah. longer than, than most books but that's great and you, and you do see that a lot in image books as well right? like, yeah. so so thank you for doing the book it's, it's an amazing book and, and sonar is wonderful we wish you all the best with that and all the best with um your next two projects that are coming soon, and you'll be announcing it, uh, or you'll be uh, um, uh, launching at Thought Bubble 
it all sounds terrific. We're, we're really excited to see them and it, it'd be excited to stop them here at Orbital. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Subscribe to our Patreon for early access and additional content via the Support Us button on thecomicrush.com for just $2 a month and subscribe, download and review all our shows on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Find us on Twitter, at The Comic Crush, like the comiccrush.com page on Facebook and don't forget to check out the website for more art, craft and culture of comics. Email me, portthecomiccrush.com with any thoughts or suggestions you have about any of our content and thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. On the crush.